You may have previously listened to this podcast when it was called the PropTech Ramble, but we realized we were rambling about so much more than just PropTech. So we're back with a brand new series and a brand new name, The Measure Podcast by Metricus. Just like the last series, there'll be no bullshit, but there will be some rambling. I'm Michael Grant, COO and co-founder of Metricus, and I'll bring you a new guest every Wednesday for the next 10 weeks to get the measure of topics such as productivity in the workplace, building efficiencies, sustainable buildings, and ESG. No matter where you're listening, I hope you enjoy the new series and get some value from it. Today, we're joined by Michael Pasula, Managing Director of Intelligent and Digital Workplaces at Accenture. We'll be asking Michael for his thoughts on all three of these topic areas before we delve deeper into each one throughout the series. Michael's always got helpful advice and guidance given what he does day in and day out for Accenture. So, Michael, thanks very much for doing another ramble with me, mate, and welcome. Thanks, Michael. It's it's great to be back and uh, really excited to uh, be able to kick this this season off for you on uh, some topics that I think are really important and and super pertinent to uh, where everyone is right now. Yeah, I think uh, I think all three areas, uh, especially now, COVID, back to work, back to the office. You can't say back to work; people don't like that. But back to the office. But ESG sustainability, the four-day week that's coming, you know, there's been another trial in the UK which is going well. So making things more productive for people in four days rather than five is 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 hugely important. So we'll start with productivity, mate, part one. So we have, a, we have two questions on each of these, mate, so we, we can run through those. So uh, I talk about overselling in our industry, which happens a lot, you and I both know. So what's the biggest oversell you've seen in the industry about how smart building tech can help specifically with productivity? Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question Michael. Um and definitely, you know, we see this term, you know, prop tech, smart building, intelligent workplace used, you know, so often for so many things and depending on who's using those words it may mean everything from, you know, a sensor in a pipe to be able to tell you when it's leaking or being able to tell you you know, how much water is flowing out of the restrooms all the way through to, you know, employee experience type things of being able to count how many people are in a room or be able to turn on lights when someone moves in. You know, all of these things come come into that that big array of of uh, of this area of prop tech, smart buildings, et cetera. But uh, I think my my favorite one at the moment, uh, when I say favorite, is probably the one that, that, that makes me smile the most as, as the oversell is, uh, you know, this, the, we have... This vision a lot of people have of being able to completely customize the environment that, that you're in as an individual, you know, coming back into the office, walking into your enclosed space and, you know, having the, the temperature be able to adjust to the, the exact settings that you want and make it this nice, comfortable cocoon. I mean, it's it's a great vision and it's definitely not something that isn't achievable, but the reality of it is that in the buildings that are built today, it's extremely, extremely hard to achieve, you know, without re-engineering HVAC systems, re-engineering, you know, the way that the whole building was originally designed and built. So it's a great aspiration and, you know, I hear a lot of people talking about it. We, we receive 
you know, RFPs from customers all the time that have this, you know, these details of these hyper-personalized outcomes that they're looking for. And again, they're all achievable, but, you know, once you start peeling back the onion and understanding, you know, the infrastructure that you have to work with in, in some of these buildings that have, you know, lighting or HVAC systems that were, were designed 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, that are are not controllable at the the level or the granularity that you need to to deliver some of this stuff. Um, I think that's that's the one that that uh, will take the cake for me at the moment. It's a great aspiration, but just extremely extremely hard to do. And and uh, even you know any I haven't come across one building yet that we're actually able to do that with the infrastructure that that uh, that's in place. What do they say? Never let the truth get in front of a good story. This is true. This is true. <laughs> The other one, the other one that's interesting for me, which is becoming more and more prevalent, is frictionless. Everything is frictionless. But if you go to a building, take one Manhattan West, you can't just walk in for security reasons. You have to show your ID. You have to go to the front desk. They give you a card. I mean, I, I've done that many times, but that is pretty painless, right? That's that's as painless as you'll get. But I was in a building last week with the same thing. We went into a law firm to to present to them. You have to go to the front desk downstairs present your ID, then you had to go upstairs to reception. They then gave you a card. They then had to take, you know, they, they scanned your laptop bag and then you had in. So frictionless is another one for me that's, that's an oversell that you can just glide in and not have to talk to anyone, show your ID or do anything. That's, that's, that's yeah. another one. No, I, I agree, right? I mean, frictionless is a great um, aspiration. And I think that, that you know, planning to get as close as you can to that is key but you know the friction exists for a purpose right specifically in some of these big cities around security um and so it's always finding that balance between um seamlessness and security and and striking that right balance and you know automating as much of the process as possible but you know th- there has to be those those touch points that 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 exist and you know, we can use technology and apply it to to streamline them as much as possible. But you know, we're never going to get away from you know totally frictionless. I mean, in the US now, you know, international travel, they're starting to use more and more biometrics, you know, so you yeah. don't show your passport anymore. You just go up, you you smile into the camera and you walk onto the plane. Some might argue that that's pretty frictionless, but you still have to stop there. You still have to look at the camera, right? It's not like I just mosey on through the gate and, and continue walking right so there's always some level of friction even though we can use technology to automate um a lot of the manual stuff yeah agreed and, and like you say there, there is friction there in most instances for a reason not just to annoy people it is there, mm. there is a purpose behind it so but i think i think lots of buildings now are pretty much as easy as you could possibly get right you, there's you, to going that next step how do you show your id before you get there that's pretty much impossible so uh the next question in the productivity area is what's the biggest misconception you've come across when it comes to indoor air quality? That's a good one. Um, talking a lot about air today. Um, <laughs> no, I, th- I think, think some of it, you know, th- there's a couple different aspects to, to air, right. Um, from there, there's air quality around like, you know, obviously safety, right? Like, is, are we breathing safe air? There's definitely, you know, the, the general, um, population employees are becoming more and more aware of you know air now especially since what we what we've just been through over the last you know three and a half years um i think that uh that there's still this this uh i think it's more about comfort right and what people feel um you know temperature is still a huge thing just just the basics of that 
making sure that people are, are comfortable and understanding how that works. You know, again, kind of connects back into to that last point about being able to customize everything and being able to have each space comfortable for myself. I think so that that's one area, but I think, you know, connected to that is this concept around people not understanding, you know, especially in meeting rooms now when you're starting to get more and more people in there. I'm not really sure back in 2017, 2018, people understood that, you know, you pack a bunch of people into a room, you close the door for five hours or six hours. Um, what happens to the air in that in that room, right? Um, there's not generally special extraction fans specifically for that room. It's not, you know, normally circulating air in those spaces um, any more than, than it is in any other places in the office. So I think now with the technology that's getting deployed, um, you know, we're deploying ourselves and, and you know, we've, we're seeing more and more clients deploy as well. It's that transparency that people now start to understand, you know, what, what air quality is and what affects it and being able to, to, to deal with it on a personal level, right? Be able to be in a large room, understand that the air quality is actually getting poor and saying, hey, why don't we take a break? Let's open the door. Let's let some fresh air in. Let's, um, you know, if we're in a space where we can open some windows, being able to be A, more aware of it, and then B, being able to take some, some personal action to be able to, to, to improve that, um, I think has been the biggest thing that, that I've noticed around, you know, air quality and, and, and people's um, attention to, to what it actually means. Yeah, it's, it, it's uh, education on air quality. I think, I think COVID, I don't think anything else in the world has ever drawn people's attention to air quality. No one knew what PM 2.5 was before COVID. You know, everyone now knows what, you know, well, everyone knows what dust is and was, but no one knew the effect it had carrying COVID around from one person to another, PM 2.5 and 10, and the different sizes of dust and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's ever growing. It's ever growing. So on to part two, mate, uh, efficiency. And, and this is, this is an interesting one, especially with, with what, you do in Accenture for your customers. This, this actually, I, I quite like this question. So, where do you think the biggest growth opportunities are for the prop tech industry as a whole when it comes to driving efficiencies? Now, I've not narrowed that down to commercial real estate, warehousing, industrial. This is just a wide open question, mate. No, it, and it's a good one, Michael. Um, you know, so so for me, and again, you're going back to what we we talked about right at the start about you know prop tech is is such a wide term used by so many parts of the industry, and I still feel that the vast majority of stuff that we see in this space is very heavily centered around operations, like back end operations, about you know how do you make the operations of the building more efficient? You know how do we you know automate different processes that happen in the background, and you know automate workflows of of operations teams. Um, which is which is all great, right? And and all areas that we have um, the ability to improve things. But I still think that there is an even bigger opportunity when you start to you know look at the multiplier effect on how can we use technology to improve the efficiencies of everybody in the building, right? How can we use you know technology to you know going back to the the friction that we talked about, right? Make people's days more effective in how they get into buildings, how they move around buildings, how they find places to sit and places to work. That's still still a huge opportunity. You know, looking at at just now, you know, I'm in our, our New York office again today. You know, we're starting to to continue to see, well, not starting, we have continued to see the occupancy of our space grow and grow and grow. And I was just talking to some of our operations teams the other day and they're saying, 
we're getting to the point now where we're waiting for elevators and elevators are opening again and they're full of people, right? We're having to wait two, three cycles. You know, this has always been one of my pet peeves about, about buildings, right? Um, this concept of uh, an elevator coming and stopping when it's full, right? It's like, this yeah. is a totally solvable problem. Um, we're wasting the time of the people that are standing in the elevator. We're wasting the time of the people that are waiting for the elevator. We're putting the elevator through a whole bunch of stop, start, open, close cycles that it doesn't need to go through. Um, but, but you know, we, we don't seem to be, no one seems to be solving it, right? Um, and uh, I think, you know, those are the little things that, that exist that are annoying for people that have a real cost associated with them from an operations and wear and tear perspective, but also have um, an impact on the people and the, you know, the efficiency of, of them and their time in, in the space. So um, if you look at the number of people that are in a building, um, you know, we've done some of this with our uh, a study on this in some of our um, uh, buildings in, in Castellana uh, 85 in Spain, um, where we've looked at the efficiencies that we can drive around um, people, right? We've done it around yeah. the impact of improving air quality, uh, the impact of having people, um, you know, be more efficient in the space and being able to put a dollar cost to that. Um, and there, there's real money to be to be saved through efficiencies um, and to be gained in, in productivity. And so um, I think that that's an area that we still haven't seen many um, organisations and even, you know, the, the prop tech sector from a, a product perspective um, really focus on is, you know, how do we use um, the, the employee side of prop tech or the, 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 um, the user side of prop tech to drive efficiencies in the people that are in the building, not just purely in the operation of the space. I mean, these are all solvable problems, right? These aren't difficult to do. Yeah. Um, we have all the technology exists. Um, I think that you know, th there's this huge opportunity as, as we gather more and more data um, to understand how combining that data we can solve different problems. You know, one of the things that, that we still see is, and you know, I, I just spoke to a number of number of people last week at a conference here in, in New York about them saying, well, yeah, we're, we're gathering all this data. We've got a data lake. We have all this data. I'm like, great. What are you doing with the data? Right. Yeah. And they don't know what questions to ask of the data. And I think that sometimes organizations just go about it from a, hey, we're going to collect the data as opposed to coming at it from a, we've got a problem that we want to solve or we've got a question that we want answers to and then work out what data you need to be able to, to you know, answer that question or automate that function or um, yeah. improve that, that specific um, experience that you're looking to do. Because, um, you know, quite often, you know, we'll get asked by someone, hey, um, can you help us answer this question? We've got this data. And it's like, well, you've kind of got the right data, but you're missing something. Or it's not at the right granularity that you need to be able to answer that specific type of question. Um, and they've realized that they've gathered the wrong data. Um, yeah. And so coming into it with a clear understanding of you know, the questions that you want to ask or that you want answers to, I think is really key in making sure you get that right, the right data. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the other thing that comes into it for me and this this happens during projects, right? So this is where the total cost of ownership comes in and not not value engineering some things out because I'm sure there's a lift out there that is smart and that can do people load up and down and know which floors to stop and knots to stop at when it's got a certain amount of people in it by weight or by people count, whatever that might be. But when when buildings are built, generally 
generally at some point something is value engineered out and the total cost of ownership is not really taken into account. It's build the asset. If if you're building it to manage it, you might think differently. But if you're building it to sell it, then you are thinking differently. And if you can save a few hundred grand here or across a hundred million pound project, if you can save a couple of mil, then then you might want to do so. But you're not helping the planet by doing that because you're using less efficient equipment and you're not helping the person who, who's buying it from you who's going to use it and who's going to manage it. So I think I think there's a larger responsibility in that efficiency play. I think so, Michael. And I think that, you know, if if I read the news and you read between the lines and, and uh, you know, listening to some of the, uh, you know, the, the, the news and interviews out there with some of the big property owners around the place, um, looking to to shed some of their older assets or convert them, and you know we keep hearing the talk about this flight to quality, which you know I, I totally see as well. You know the asset managers are are uh, looking to invest in in that space still, or, or at least you know continue to hold those properties. Um, and I think that as the industry becomes more and more educated about what's possible and what how can we use technology to drive efficiency and what is an efficient building for them to hold and operate. Yeah. Um, those things are going to become more and more valuable in 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 the valuation of space. But um, you know that the, the real estate industry, as we know, is uh, is has been around since the dawn of time, and um, it's generally a, a space that is is slower to innovate just because yeah. of you know the the rhythm of of you know how long it takes to build something new. Right. Yeah. By the you start a project, I walked past the project here this morning. Um, in uh, in the Hudson Yards district that uh, is still in construction. And uh, I remember being in a meeting, I was saying to one of my colleagues in 2017, talking about this building and the technology that was going to go into it. And so we're some six years on from that and, uh, and still, it's still being constructed. So um, you know, the speed at which technology is evolving, the, the, the duration that it takes to build these projects um, you know, it, it's going to take some time for the the new stuff that we're talking about to make its way into the hearts of some of these buildings. But I think that it's an education process for us to go through with the asset owners, with the developers. Um, and once the, the the asset owners and people that are buying these buildings start asking for these things, it's going to start be, to be, you know, built into the, the specs that are in the building. It's going to be part of, you know, what, what, they're told to hold true what the north star of the building is as they're building it, and and um, you know we can hope that over time these things don't get value engineered out, and that they're actually part of the value, right? It's like we have to have this in the yeah. building. Yeah, it's in, it's important. I think it has to change, as you've said, because otherwise we'll be in the same place in ten years as we are now, which is not yeah. where we would be. So the, the the other question in in the efficiency space is. What are the most innovative examples you've seen of organizations driving efficiencies from smart building tech? Yeah, that's another great one. I think that I, I haven't yet seen an organization doing this like consistently across the board. I still think a lot of organizations are in this try it and see. And so they have yeah. pockets of stuff, right? Um, they've put you know, smart bathroom cleaning in one building and they've done something to do with access control in another building or they've seen something to do with visitor management in a, in another space and i think that's one of the things that's missing is this this consistency across the board so i think there's there's a huge huge opportunity for organizations to to drive more efficiency 
Um, I think my my favorite one from an operations efficiency right now, you know, I think it's it's pretty basic, but the tech that's around around um, improving efficiencies around cleaning crews in in restrooms is you know one of my favorite ones that is I think underutilized by everybody. Yeah. Right, it's super yeah. easy to deploy. It's really simple to understand, right? It's how many people go to the restroom and then we go in and clean it. You know, I have a pet hate, my my team knows this, that uh, I have a pet hate for plastic signs in offices, yeah. right? And whenever I go in somewhere and I see like a plastic laminated card or a <laughs> it's stuck on a wall and I still, you know, restrooms specifically, I go in there and there's that laminated card that's stuck on the wall somewhere that someone puts their initials on and the last time they came in and cleaned it, Right. Like you can't be building a building in you know, 2021, 2022. And, and, you know, you know, you're going to have to have some kind of scheduling thing put together around how this place gets cleaned and when it gets cleaned and coming up at the end of it and going, well, we're going to stick a card on the wall and give someone a whiteboard marker. <laughs> Just <laughs> doesn't, doesn't make any sense and doesn't make the, the, the workplace uh, any more attractive. So um, I think that's one of the most underutilized ones that I've seen. Yeah. Um, but I think that you know when we speak to to to, to uh, companies about it, um, they look at the efficiencies only at a very granular level, and they say, well, you know, it's going to save us X in a certain building. But again, going back to my earlier comment about you know you get efficiencies at scale with this stuff, and as you deploy these things broader and broader and broader, and you see what the efficiencies are that you can gather, um, I think that's where where the value value comes comes into it and so um you know th there's a lot of great technology out there that can drive the efficiency but getting things to scale um and then making sure you measure them right of of you know being able to continue to take the savings justify the continued yeah. investment in those technologies um you know i know that we're starting to see this you know i know from our discussions that you're starting to see this too um of organizations moving past that pilot phase into you know deployment and this is where you get that multiplier effect of you know, you know the, the the learnings that you got in the first deployment the first implementation you tweak things um and then the buildings that you you deploy after that whether it's you know point systems like um you know bathroom cleaning or occupancy or air quality and hvac control um you really get the you know the multiplier effect on the value and the efficiencies the more and more um you deploy this stuff yeah, and, and it is, it, you're, you're right, at the, what you said at the start, people have done one solution in one building, one solution in another, but they they do need to do the data analysis to extrapolate that out because it, it, it does scale. You've seen it as Accenture. Our other customers have seen it as well, which is why they're continuing to roll it out. But you do you do have to pay some time and attention to it and then do some number crunching and look at the extrapolation of data. I think smart cleaning is one of the easiest ones to look at, right? It's not hard. There's kit out there, whether it's a push button or whether it's just counting people, the amount of uses a toilet has had and send a team, you're done. There is no need for laminated, you know, or one of the plastic envelopes with the paper in that someone has to pull it out and write on with pen and then drop it back in. None of that is needed anymore in 2023, right? But not, not a lot of, not a lot of people are doing it. And, uh, you know, in, in large scale buildings, I imagine that those efficiencies would be substantial. Totally. And I think that there's, uh, the, you know, the other thing that I, I see has to evolve along with that, right, is we've got the tech to be able to automate the process. But, you know, at the same time, I think that the industry needs to to acknowledge that and be able to change as well, right? So if you're an FM operator, 
um, you know, going from selling me 10 janitors, right, in the building to, you know, paying as a service for the number of cleanings that we've got and, you know, them being able to get more efficient and change the way that they do staffing and using the data about how many people come into the building on certain days and being able to work out how to staff more efficiently as well. You know, there's efficiencies to be gained through the whole stack as as people start to analyze data and use automation. And there are there are some FMs who will resist that until the point where they're forced to, but there are some, uh, we work with a lady called Jill Fry uh, based out of Ohio and Florida. She splits her time with her company. She is already saying, I need to do this for my customers because if I don't do it, one of my smaller competitors might come up and do it and then take my contracts away. But she's also saying, if I do it, I could take some of the bigger competitors' contracts away from them. So there's always the you know the fast moving and the slow moving and the proactive and the reactive, right? Or, yeah. or but yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. It, I I don't think that's ever going to change, but I I hope I'm always positive and hope that it will. But you know, time time will tell. Someone has to lead. Someone has to go first. Michael, say so. exactly right. On to the next part, the, the final part, part three, which is sustainability. So greenwashing is is an issue and it's becoming more and more of an issue and more and more prevalent. I think the news and the press, uh, uh, you know, they love a story, sometimes not great stories, but they love a story. But what, what do you think businesses need to do to avoid it? You know, without naming any names here, because there are lots that are being, you know, brought up in the press at the moment. But what are what are the, some of the bad examples you'll see, you've seen? Or if you don't have any of those, what 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 should people do to avoid it and, and, and even just to get started so they're not involved in it? No, good, good question. I think, you know, my my pet peeve in the in the sustainability space, I think, is um, you know, when when organizations take the viewpoint of, hey, I'm just gonna go and pay a little bit extra for my power and say that, you know, I'm paying the green power tariff and then say we're good to go. Right. Um, We're not going to change any behavior that we've got. We're going to pay a little bit of a premium on our power, but, um, you know, we'll we'll get a tick in the box for saying that that we're all green. You know, I think that that, that's that's great. And, you know, supporting sustainable power is, you know, an investment in that is is um, is definitely admirable and something that we need. But, you know, I was was reading an article just last night here in the States saying that, you know, there's the problem that that we have with the the um, transmission systems over here right now is that we can generate so much green power, but they don't have a way to actually get it into the grid, right? So we can keep oh, wow. paying the energy companies to invest in green power, but if we can't put it into the grid, then it's kind of um, you know a, a moot point. So you know the things that that um, inspire me, and I, I love to see when we when I go to to our client sites, and you know when I, I visit our 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 offices. Uh, within Accenture, you know, got to give some some huge huge kudos to our internal team that have really put sustainability um, at the heart of of everything we do. Um, even so much so that they renamed our internal geographic services group this year um, to to actually be corporate services and sustainability to make sure that it was it was known throughout the organisation that like this is one of our key key things that we're we're driving towards is how do we drive our, our entire operations of the organization to be more sustainable. And you know, when I walk around uh, our offices now, um, you know, there's no single-use plastics. We, we've removed any sort of, you know, all of the, the cutlery that we have and cups and, and mugs. You know, there's no um, disposable equipment. 
around the place. Everything is is reusable, um, and that takes that takes investment from the organisation, right? It takes yeah, yeah. Um, you know the commitment to 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 have those you know the one off costs of investing in all of this stuff. So it's going from hey, I'm just going to you know spend ten thousand dollars a month on disposable cups to know we're going to actually go and invest and we're going to buy proper cutlery and we're going to buy proper cups and proper glasses and then you know the infrastructure to wash them and clean them and reuse them and you know the people that are going to go through you know make sure that those those are available during the day right so i think those are the things that that inspire me when you see organizations that are actually investing in changing the way that they operate leading by example rather than just saying hey i'm going to you know, pay a bill in a different way and say we're good. You know, even the way that they they operate the organization from, you know, how much air travel do they do? How efficient is the, you know, the way that they're traveling? You know, do we have people traveling on trains versus on planes when 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 possible and when when it makes sense? So really getting into the underlying you know, operation of of the company. When it comes to you know the the prop tech side of things, just getting an understanding of power in the building, what is using power? You know, we see sometimes organizations deploy, they say, hey, we've got you know the ability to monitor how much power we use in the building, which is great, but they don't have the ability to understand what's using that power. Is it is it lighting? Is it HVAC systems? Is it refrigerators and freezers or whatever you've got that are not running efficiently? Um now, are you leaving these like, big screen televisions or big video walls on all night over the weekend? So, you know, very similarly to what we talked about before about, you know, getting the right data to answer the right questions, yeah. um, having that granularity around what, you, what you're actually using, being able to narrow that down and then be able to, to, to take action on that, I think is some of the stuff that's, that's most inspiring to me. I don't know how many... Teams rooms are deployed globally, but I imagine it's a lot. Even if you can turn those off when no one's in, and if there's lighting control, you can turn the lights off because the link to the team room. There's two lots of power that go off straight away or can come on automatically when people are in. So the very last question, mate. It's hard for organisations to know where to start when it comes to using prop tech to help improve their building's environmental impact. Do, do you have any tips or ideas? I mean, we just touched on a couple there, but is there, are there any standout ones for you that you think people should do? Michael, I mentioned earlier, right, this is my, my number one thing to to our clients when they come to us and say, hey, we want to do something. Or even when we see, you know, RFPs put out on the street, you know, my core question is like, what do you want to do? Like, what's the outcome you're looking to achieve? Or what is the, the question that you want answered, right? Um, you can come and say, hey, we want a system that, that, that manages, like that reports occupancy or that you know, manage like, reports air quality or has the ability to control our blinds or whatever. And like, that's the outcome that you're looking for. But like, what's the real function, the question that you want answered, the problem you're trying to solve, having clarity on what that is, is key to, you know, when you come to to ask someone for help or looking for the right solution, right? It's, it's not about what it does, but it's about what are you trying to achieve, right? What do you want to know? What do you want to change? What, what insight are you looking to gain? What experience or, or current scenario are you trying to automate if that's, if that's what you're looking to do? And having clarity on that, because I think sometimes, you know, organizations look to gather the data or get the, you know, get the information, but they really don't 
either have clarity on what they want to do with it. Like, if you know the answer to this, what are you going to change, right? What are you going to do with it? And then it also helps make sure that you're gathering the right the right data. I mean, you know, you and I have spoken, I don't even know for how many, probably hundreds of hours at this point about, you know, there's so many different types of occupancy that you can that you can report at different levels of granularity at different points that tell you different things and can depend on, you know, how the floor plans laid out and how the staircases are in a building and all these different types of things. So just coming and saying, hey, we want a, a smart building solution that can tell us occupancy you know, isn't really granular enough, right? Anyone can give yeah. you that, but it may not answer the question that you actually want to know, right? Or it may not help you improve or automate the solution that you're that you're looking to do. Maybe you need to know it at a floor level. Maybe you need to know it at a desk level. Um, but you can't, you, you know, no, we people can't help you to get the right outcome if we don't know the questions that you're actually looking to, to answer. Um, and so I think that's that's sort of the key one for me is knowing what it is or having clarity on the, the the questions that you're looking to get answers to is is key in you know coming to to the market or looking for um you know the right prop tech solution for um what it is that you're looking to solve agreed mate agreed i've got quick fire questions there's three of them you just have to give me one word answers to them so we can and then if anyone wants us to expand, maybe we do that later. If you had to guess one of the three areas, productivity, efficiency, or sustainability, which is going to have the most growth over the next five years? I'm going to say I hope sustainability. I think that's the one that, that's on the minds of, of a lot of people. So I think that there's going to be a lot more attention in that space once we get over the, you know, people aren't productive at home narrative and we want them back in the office. Once that, get, that gets debunked, I think sustainability is going to be the, the big one. And if there is one piece of advice that you see organizations often ignoring when it comes to prop tech journey, what would you say that is? Yeah, I think it's, you know, having clarity around a couple of questions that you want to answer, right? Like, but but not just in general, not things like, oh, we want to know what occupancy is. Like, what do you actually want to measure, right? What do you actually want to know? And and almost more importantly, to help you get to the clarity of that question, like, What's the what do you what's the outcome? What are you going to do with this data when you when you've got it? And to make sure that you're getting the right information. Agreed, mate. That was fantastic. Thank you very much for your time. Always a pleasure to speak to you. I'll, I'll hopefully catch up with you in person sometime soon as well, mate. This year. Likewise. Thanks for having me back on, Michael. And uh, we'll speak again soon. Cheers, buddy. Take care. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to The Measure Podcast. Before you go, we can see a lot of people are listening and enjoying the podcast, but aren't leaving us a review. So if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you'd be so kind. Please also leave us some comments. It helps us provide great guests and have great chats. No bullshit, no small talk, but valuable information to help people in their roles. And finally... Don't forget to subscribe to The Measure now so you don't miss anything.